Greetings and salutations. Uh, we're in the series Reimagine Life. Uh, if you're just joining us, this isn't just a series for us. This is a, a vision of where God is taking us as a community. And each week we're looking at what uh, a value within that context of, of that, that whole picture is. And last week we talked a lot about God's love and how God's love is just, it's amazing. It invites us to live a life uh, that's different. It invites us into this kingdom life that we should live. And that's the whole, this reimagined life thing comes from. And in light of this love, how should we respond to that love? And in this week, uh, we're gonna be tackling uh, a new vision area called, basically, how should we realign our lives to be like Jesus? And uh, I've got my friend, Pastor Michelle up here, and she's gonna be helping me out this morning. And uh, Pastor Michelle is actually the care pastor until we discovered that she didn't care so much. Uh, oh, that's so wrong. <laughs> no, actually, she cared so much that we gave her even more to care about. Uh, she's our community life pastor, and that covers a whole bunch of things, especially life groups and caring as well, because you are good at that. And, too, late, uh, too late, you blew it. Yeah, I did blow it. Uh, that's okay, I blow it every week. Um, it happens. How many of you guys play that game? I love playing the game with my uh, child, Briley. She's, she just loves this game. It's, it's, I call it the drawing on the back game. I don't know if there's an official name, title to that game. Is there anyone? No? Okay. All right. Basically, you draw on the back, somebody's back, and they try to guess what the letter is or the object. You remember that, don't you? And I like usually do letters because she's learning, how, learning her letters, which is hard because you're like, is it the mirror image or what do you try? Anyway, um, so I need a volunteer this morning. Volunteers in the audience. Ding, ding, ding. Mr. Keegan, would you come on up? That was not predetermined at all. Uh, Keegan, we're going to try to play a game this morning. Congratulations on your Cardinals, by the way. I'm very jealous. Uh, we're going to play that game. We're going to put an image. Uh, Nick's going to put an image for us on the screen. Don't look. Okay? And I'm going to try to draw the image on your back, and you're going to try to guess it. Okay? We did not. I just want to tell you, we did not come up with the, or I didn't tell him the answers beforehand. Okay? That would be cheating. All right? So we're going to try to do it. Okay? You ready? I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Starting off simple. All right? Think simple. Bing, 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 yay! I picked the right person. Uh, okay, next image. Okay, a little harder. Okay. A heart. A heart. Yes. All right, we're gonna take it. This is the last one. It's a little harder. Okay, we're taking it to the next level, okay? Okay. so much. I pray that your Cardinals uh, lose in five instead of four. Um, that's not true. I, I hope the Cardinals do well next year. Um, but uh, played that game before. It, we played it. Uh, we play it a lot in youth group. Uh, we, we did back in the day, way back when I was a youth pastor. And we would play a, a, a different game. It, it, you remember that uh, Pictionary game where you would actually draw pictures and you would kind of take it down the line and see how, what it looked like at the very end? Uh, we call it a Telephone Pictionary. We've played it with pictures and you actually would draw a phrase and then someone has to draw a picture of the phrase. And then the person would look at the picture and say, I wonder what phrase that is. And they would write there what they thought it was. And inevitably when you get to the very end, what was said at the beginning is nothing like what was said, looks like at the very end. It's hilarious. Maybe you should play that as a life group. 
But it's amazing how the picture we start with in that game is quite different than the picture you get in the very end. How many of you guys like Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Who doesn't like Chick-fil-A? I think Chick-fil-A? it would be un-American not to like Chick-fil-A, don't you think? Yes, I or think vegetarian, so either way. Uh. <laughs> well, Chick-fil-A has a specific brand. If you're going to franchise one of their stores, you have to be willing to model your store after their model. They want it to look a certain way. They want it to function a certain way. They even have their people say the same thing. What do their people say when you say thank you? My pleasure, absolutely. Because if they didn't look the same way, if all the Chick-fil-A's didn't look the same way, they might start morphing into like Dairy Queen or Taco Bell or whatever, and then what happens? Chick-fil-A loses their, um, their uniqueness, they lose their identity a little bit, Brand. they're no longer, their branding, they're no longer Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. right? Did you know that 80%, about 80% of all Americans say that they're Christians? 80%. And when I heard that statistic, I was like, wow, that is awesome. Did I say America? I didn't mean all the world. It's America. But 80% of all Americans say that they're Christians. And I thought, that is fantastic. That is great. But then I started thinking, well, if 80% of all Americans are Christian, then why does America not look different? Why do we have so much hate and chaos in America? And I was reading an article this week in Christianity Today, and it was talking about three different types of Christians. Um, One type of Christian, they had names for them. They're not important, so I won't share them. But one type of Christian is a Christian that just, you maybe have a Christian heritage, like your family was Roman Catholic or Irish Catholic, or and it just got handed down to you, but you don't really attend church, and you don't live like you're an authentic follower of Jesus. And so that counts of about one-third of that 80%. And there's another type of people, self-labeled Christians, that have a home church. They may have been raised in the home church. They may have gotten married in the home church. They may come on Christmas. They may come on Easter. But they also do not live, they do not follow Christ. They're not authentic Christ followers. And then the last third of the people that make up the self-labeled Christians are people that actually follow Christ. When they met him and when they found him, their lives changed, and they actually reorient their lives around Christ. That's the last one-third. If we don't live our lives as Christ followers, it kind of dilutes the, the message. And some people have gone away from calling themselves Christians. They want to be called Christ followers or disciples of Jesus because they don't want to be included in the watered-down version of Christianity. Hmm. And I don't know if you... I don't know if it necessarily matters if you call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, but I think the, the point of, of where we're going is, what does God want for us? What does, he, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean? And so let's, let's grab our Bibles. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to find ourselves. Maybe a little familiar. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to start with verse 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. 
good name, sitting down at the tax collector's booth. And he said this, Jesus said this word, words, letters in red, follow me, he told him. And Matthew did what? He got up and he followed him. Have you ever thought that that was strange? I mean, James, John, Andrew, Peter, you kind of see some of this. Jesus throughout his ministry, he says those two words, follow me. And then what do people do? They just get up, they leave stuff, they leave their nets, their tax collectors, they just go. That seems very odd to me that some strange person would come up and say that and you would do that. It just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. But it made sense back then. And let's, to, to us, for us really to get our minds around what it is to be a disciple, what it looks like, I think we need to go back a little bit into that first century uh, Judaism. Do, do you guys, uh, did you guys get some honey on your, your, your chairs there? How many opened the honey before? That was a test. Where was a test? No, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, grab your honey, and I want you to do something. I want you to open the packet very carefully, very carefully. And I want you, you might need to share if there's not, if, if, you, if you have uh, every other seat, I want you to put just a dab of honey on your finger, all right? Now, as you're trying to accomplish that mission, uh, and I'll, I've got some right here as well. We're gonna put that, and I'm gonna let you have the honey bear. We got the honey bear, you just got the packets. Um, we were scared what the teenagers would do with the honey bear. Yes, very frightened. Uh, first century uh, Jews, the education system was surrounded in the Bible, in the Torah. And so what kids would do, they would learn the first five books of the Bible. They would, they would get consumed in the word of God. And, and some scholars tell us that on the first day of school, that what they were writing on, that whatever it was in the class, they would actually write the Hebrew alphabets, okay? And the, the, the uh, teacher of the day, they would put honey on it, on top of it, okay? Got a visual, honey? And then they would say this. They would basically tell the students to lick, go ahead, lick the honey. Pretty sweet, isn't it? And this could be a, re- as a reference to Ezekiel, because what Ezekiel says is this, you know, Jesus is, God is speaking to Ezekiel, Ezekiel and he tell, tells him to basically eat the word of God, to consume it, fill your stomach with this, he said, and, and when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And, and what they wanted, the object lesson of, of that moment was this, that the word of God is sweet like honey and that we should consume it. And it was, should be so desirable to us. So on the very first day, they're giving us the, the students this picture of what that's like. And so you would go through school and you are consumed with the word of God. You're being taught to love the word of God, to just eat it up and, and to absorb it. And you're taught to memorize it along the way. Well, this is a very, very uh, high level education school. And basically what they're trying to do is weed out students. And, and if you're not getting it, if you're not one of the best of the best students, then you, you, would, you would go home and you would learn a trade, you'd become a fisherman, you would you know, become a, a, a whatever it was, a shepherd, that kind of thing. And, and so once you get to a certain point, basically like a graduation from high school, the goal is this, is to join a rabbi school or to follow a rabbi, a teacher. That's what rabbi means. And think of this similar to like trying to get into Harvard or Yale. You know, there's certain qualifications that you have to have. They take the best of the best at these schools. If you've ever filled one of these forms out for different schools, Yale, Stanford, Trevecca, all of these schools are very, (laughs) 
their amazing universities and they will only take a certain group of people. That's the same kind of thought. That's where I went to school, by the way, Yale. Um, <laughs> so that's what rabbis would do, okay? And uh, when a student would actually go and, and kind of apply for a, a rabbi to want to follow a rabbi, because rabbis back then were like uh, rock stars. They would walk around and people would know who they were. Like if you saw someone famous, you're like, and everyone wanted to be a rabbi. I know this is mind-blowing here, okay, that people would want to be pastors, okay? Yeah, my, my, actually my advisor told me, if you can do anything else, do it. <laughs> Thank you for that word of encouragement. Um, but that was what it was like. If you want, we wanted to be rabbis. And so a rabbi would take students, and they would go through kind of an interview process. And they would ask them about the Torah and about the Bible. And they would ask them to quote certain things. And they would ask them questions. It was kind of a grilling process. And either the rabbi would ask or would say, yes, you can, since they asked to follow, yes, you can follow me. Or he would say, no, no, go home. Basically, you're not good enough. I don't know if you've ever gotten that letter. It's either the thick letter that yes, you're in school or no. It doesn't take very much to say, no, you're not in on that very thin letter. So what would happen from there? These students would begin a very uh, long process. They would begin to follow the rabbi. They would, they would live with the rabbi. Wherever the rabbi would go, they would go. Wherever, whatever the rabbi did, they would do. They would try to emulate the rabbi uh, just in any action. Because what the rabbi was doing is this, he was teaching them the word of God with his words, but also he was doing it with his actions as well. And so whatever the rabbi did, they would, they would copy. They would do the same. And so what each rabbi had its, its own kind of interpretation of scripture. And what the students were learning was this rabbi's interpretation of how to live. And it, it's pretty cool. Rabbis would wear these, these things are called prayer shawls. Now, regular people would go into church and maybe wear a, a, a prayer shawl and, and you would pray. Uh, this is actually called, there's some words I want us to learn this morning. We'll throw them on the screen, hopefully. The, over there. There it is. The talents. That's what you call a prayer shawl. And then at the very end, uh, this is, these are called the seat seats, not zit zits, but seat seats. Okay, these are the corners of the prayer shawl, right? Pretty cool because there's five knots on each corner for the five books of the, of the Torah that they are the first five books of the Bible that uh, were, were consumed. So we'd wear these prayer shawls. Now something else I wanna show you, it's pretty cool. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, go into your prayer closet and pray. You know what this is called when you do this? A closet. So this is the position when they would tell students to go into your prayer closet and pray. So if you were to go into chapel, you would go to this inner room and spend time with our Lord. Isn't that cool? Pretty cool. Pretty awesome. They would, uh, they would follow the rabbi. And, and you think about this. There's another story that just, that just popped in my mind. Remember the story about the woman that had the issue with blood? 12 years, and Jesus is going, and there's tons of people all around, and he's going to help a little girl. And what happens? This woman comes, and she comes, kind of weaves through the crowd. And what does it say in the Bible? I think it's Luke chapter 8, maybe. And, and she reaches out and touches the what? The hem of his wasn't the hem of his garment they was touching. It was the tzitzit. Now, why would she do that? Why was this such a miraculous thing? Ezekiel tells us why. And some scholars tell us this, when it says this, 
that uh, when she went to go do that, uh, I'm sorry, Malachi, it's a, prof- it's a prophecy. It says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his, his wings. So basically it's the messianic prophecy that's saying that the, the Messiah would have healing in his, now why would he say wings? Because what? What does it look like? They would call them his wings. Isn't that awesome? So she touched what? The seat seat. Pretty amazing. And so what Jesus was doing is he had these disciples that were following him and to lear- learning to live like him and to act like him. Now back to this Matthew. Love that name, Matthew. Great name. He, uh, he's sitting at this what? What was he sitting at? A tax collector's booth. Was he following a rabbi? Was he following a teacher? No, he wasn't. There's a great picture by the artist, I think his name is Caravaggio. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. There it is. It was during the Baroque period, around 1600. And you know what they say, if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Um, Yeah, I know. I thought of that all week. Um, (laughs) He really did. He practiced it even. This picture though is called (laughs) the calling, the calling of St. Matthew. Okay, and we've got Jesus here to the right. That's supposed to be as he's pointing out. And then we have Matthew here in the middle with the, the, the pointing to the, the chest. Now, something I've never noticed before, that in Luke and Mark, the story in our Bible is the calling of Levi. Levi. If you look in your Bible, it doesn't say the calling of, of, of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it's Matthew. Now, Levi is a name that was pretty common back then. If you think in your kind of, you just think Jewish history, there's 12 tribes and there's a tribe that was named after Levi. And the people that were from that, that background, they were called the Levites and they became the priests. They became the priests of, of, of the, the region, okay? So here's a guy that he was given the name, what, Levi, that actually means kind of this priestly name, but he was going by a different name. He was going by the name Matthew. Now, Matthew is not a Hebrew name. It's a Greek name. He took on another name. And I've been asking myself the question, why? As we sit in this, this, this room here, I, I think this, this picture gives us the clue of why. Who, me? I, I wonder if, if, if Levi, Matthew, he wasn't good enough. He didn't follow a rabbi. He didn't make it that far. He wasn't good enough. Or I wonder if he just said, you know what? I'm just gonna go my own way and I'm gonna turn my back on that life and that world and I'm just gonna go my own way. And here he is going, wait a second, Jesus. When, When Jesus comes and he says, follow me, he goes, me, me? Have you ever felt like Matthew? Who, me? My God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've said, who I've hurt. You don't know what I've done to my spouse, what I've done to my kids. You don't know my thoughts. Who, me? I can't. I'm not worthy. I'm not competent. Maybe, maybe we think that because we have have an inaccurate picture of who Jesus is. Maybe we think our Jesus is something like this picture that's going to be on the screen. Maybe we think 
of a harsh Jesus, a Jesus that hates people. That is an inaccurate picture. Maybe we have um, another inaccurate picture of um, Jesus as being um, a, uh, a kind of like a judge, like we have to follow rules, that Christianity is about a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. Have you ever met Christians, people that, that say that they're Christians that are all about uh, guilting you in to something? Or guilting you into following Jesus, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, and, and there's just not really any joy in their Christianity. Maybe you, you've had that as an example, um, and that is not an accurate picture either. Uh, you see, it goes back to that game that Matt played at the beginning, Matt and Keegan played. The further away we get from the source, the more blurry the picture becomes. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, follow, or, and Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But somehow we end up following and maybe even leading others to a diluted, watered-down, inaccurate picture of what Jesus looks like. Hmm. There's, there's a book that maybe you've read. It's by Kyle Eidelman, and it's called Not a Fan. And it's really challenging, this whole, like, why don't we... Why don't we look like, if we're supposed to follow Rabbi Jesus, if we're supposed to do what he does and say what he says, why don't we look like that? Why does this 80% do, why don't we look like Jesus? Uh, have you ever been or seen a sporting event where someone's holding up a sign, a, a verse? Like 90% of the time, what is that verse? John 3.16, okay? And so let's say that together. You can say it like I learned it in the King James Version. For God so I loved the world, world that he gave his, his only begotten son, son that whosoever believeth in him, believeth, that T-H, shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, when I was a kid, I heard that, that verse. I grew up in the church. And when I heard you have to be just believe in Jesus, you know, I think there's a lot of people that fall into that category. If I just believe in Jesus, if I just believe that, that, that God exists, or that maybe even Jesus died for me, if I believe, then, then I'm a Christian, then I'm a Christ follower, then I'm a disciple. But let's be honest, that, that's not an accurate picture, is it? He, Kyle says this. You don't see many people holding up this verse, Luke 9. 23, which says this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, if anybody wants to be my disciple, what? You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. Be like me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for your sake, you will save it. I have to be honest. My fear is, I have a great fear that our churches around America and around the world are full of people that believe in God, but don't follow God. People that, that, that believe, and let's just be honest, let's just kind of unveil, have said a prayer at some point in their life, have asked Jesus into their life, but they don't look anything like Jesus. They haven't followed him. They, they started they took a step of faith, but they've stayed at their tax collector booth. They, they, they've stayed with their nets, and they really haven't followed. I, I was there. I, I've been there. 
of saying, God, I've said this prayer, I'm good to go. It took another place in my life of saying, it was a convicting moment of, I don't look like the Jesus that I, that I take his name. And there's a frightening moment if we think about this. In Matthew, 20, Matthew 7, it says this, this is Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not only everyone that says that they are, it's only those who do. There's a combination, a rabbi showed the word, but also gave an example. Jesus showed people who God was in the flesh. I am the visible image of an invisible God, and we are called to follow his example. Hmm. Well, how many of you like a good buffet? I love Anybody? buffets. Love buffets. Well, Megan, my daughter, my youngest daughter, look, she stood up so y'all could see her. She loves... What's, what's your favorite buffet? I don't like buffets, to you be honest. No, I, I got sick on a buffet once, um, and I haven't liked them since because of the dressing was bad. So I don't like buffets, but Megan does. She's, you ate a salad on a buffet? Well, I it's did. It's desserts. And what's the pizza I know. buffet? I ate plenty of that, too, but, I, but the first thing I ate was the salad. Okay. Can I? I'm going to tell my I'm story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> um, but Megan... Um, we discovered buffets. I, I don't, hadn't actually ever taken her to one. We hadn't taken her to one, but we, when Philip went to SNU for his first semester of college, and we, Southern Nazarene University, and we dropped him off at, uh, at school, and we were, our hotel was right across, not even right across, it was in the same parking lot as the Golden Corral, and so that was the only thing that was there, so we went. Well, Megan fell in love with the Golden Corral because there were so many different type of foods, and they have this dessert bar that is to die for, and so she uh, and Ashley went one day, This I think the second or third time we visited, uh, George and I were off doing something else with Philip, and she and Ashley went, and sh- they went swimming right afterwards, and she had eaten so much junk that she actually had to get sick, I won't say it, Garen, in the trash can of the swimming pool. Now, I did not get her permission to tell that story because I thought she was going to be upstairs, so I'll have to deal with that when we get home. But she actually had so much variety that she got sick. Nice. How many of you have ever heard a Burger King slogan or know what it is? Have it your way. They have recently changed it to be your own way. And the president of the company says that the new slogan is intended to remind people that they could and should live how they want any time. They could and should live how they want at any time. Now, that's what the world would tell us, right? That we could and should live at any time the way we want. We have done like Megan did. We have taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we have said, ooh, Jesus, I really like what it says here, so I'll put that on my plate. And, ooh, no, I think I'll skip that. Ooh, but this looks really good over here. We have basically shoved Jesus into our theology, which makes us sick Hmm. eventually. It makes us inaccurate followers of Jesus. Hmm, I wonder what Jesus would have done if one of his disciples said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that, Jesus. (laughs) Or I I just, you know, that whole forgiving other people. Yeah, that's, that's, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) That's too hard. 
There's definitely competing messages. They're all everywhere that our world gives us. And Jesus talks about there's the world's way and there's my way. I am so thankful. We've got this thing called Netflix. There's no commercials on Netflix. It's Ooh. awesome. Um, but I don't have to... Uh, I don't have to watch commercials all the time. The world is a giant commercial. It's not just in their commercials, it's in everything. The things that we consume, the things that we watch, movies that we see, uh, the way things are lived out, politics, news, all of it is a giant commercial for the way that we should live according to the world's way. Okay. And, and it's, it's tough, let's be honest. I'm, do you ever feel pulled certain directions that the world is pulling us and ways and patterns of life, things that the world is constantly telling us? A couple of things that, that is a buffet theology. You pick and choose what you wanna believe. And if you don't believe it, that's okay. What's okay for you is, it may be different than what's okay for me because I can choose this, this, and this. Or, or let's be honest, that there's another kind of thing the world tells us is if it feels right, then it is right. If it feels good, then it is good. Let's look at Philippians 3, 17 through 20. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are those whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They are led by things that feel good, that look good, that sound good. I love Bluebell ice cream. We all know that Bluebell ice cream is the best. We all know that Bluebell ice cream is not good for you. You are not gonna become healthy by eating lots of Bluebell. But you have those moments, don't you, where you go, I know that I shouldn't. I know that I shouldn't, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And that's not just in Bluebell ice cream, folks. That's in different places in our life that we say that, I know that I shouldn't, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna do it anyway. And it leads, it leads to destruction. Mm. It leads to a place of, of darkness and a place that's apart from, from Jesus and his life. Mm. Romans 12.1 in the message says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjust, adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Hmm. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I fall way too easily <laughs> into that culture. Sometimes I'm sure there have been times that people don't even know I'm a Christian. Hmm. Hey, Matt, yep. on a lighter note. Yep. Do you remember that when you asked me to borrow my car that one time and you said, hey, you can take my car? Do you remember that you forgot to tell me that it was a piece of junk? Piece of what? I was about to say <laughs> the C word, but Mary will get me. So do you remember it was a, yeah, you, you forgot to tell me church. it was a piece of junk? You mean that awesome 19, uh, 2003 Saturn view? That was an amazing car. Uh, Are I don't you know kidding me? Oh, my word. I give him my car. I don't even remember why I needed it. So I, I was going to be nice and take his car home. And I guess I'm not getting the reward for it now because I'm telling you all about it. But the car did not have air conditioning. It was in July that I brought his car home in the middle of the day. The, win the back window wouldn't roll down. 
it made this awful noise that when you stopped at a stoplight or a stop sign, it was like, and everybody that was around you looking to see whose car was making that obnoxious noise. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You you know how it is though. There's something that falls apart in your car and you're like, oh, I'll just kind of put it off till later. I'll just fix it later. I told you a few months ago, I got a new car. My son pulled off the back door handle and I just haven't got it fixed yet. And I just put it on there. Now it's just a trick for people. If somebody comes into my car, like, oh, you broke my car. He's done it to me. He's done it to Eddie. Yeah. He's done it to Nick. But, but there are things that break down our lives. There are things that we begin to slowly fall away and to step away from what it looks like to be a Christian and to be like Christ. And these things begin to just slowly, and it's not until someone comes over to your house or borrows your car and you're like, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. I, I forgot that this is wrong and this is wrong and I'm so sorry, but thank you. So, or you throw stuff in the closet and you're like, I can't, you don't want anybody to see that. And things kind of break down. So what do we want to do as a community? Let's we all pull these directions. There's not a single person in this room that's not, that doesn't get out of alignment at points in our lives. We all do. We're all pulled by the world. We're all hearing messages all the time. So as a community of believers, we feel like that God is calling us to realign our lives to the way of Jesus, to really get back to the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Not a Christian, not just someone who wears the t-shirt and has the the bumper sticker, but, but it's deeper than that. It's more than that. It is saying, God, I want to be like you. I want to act like you. I want to form my life to be like yours. So where does it start? Let's go back to Romans 12. It says this, fix your attention on who? On God. Jet, uh, Nat Geo, National Geographic, they do a little uh, a brain games. Have you ever seen those before? I want you to see a, a quick one, very quick on the screen. Anybody watch that show? talks about how, the, how the, way, the way the brain works. We fix our attention on the same place. We'll all begin to look that way. As a community, let's fix our gaze and our attention on God so that we could together become more and more like him. So we're asking ourselves that question as a community. Uh, as it starts with community, as authentic followers of Jesus, as real followers of Jesus, what are some practical ways that we can realign our lives to the life of Jesus. And this is an open question. This isn't a, you have to do X, Y, and Z. This is a a question of let's begin to think and dream together. What can we do as a community as we surround ourselves into that? And I think it starts with us really leaning into God's word. We we do that in sermons, but there's other places that we do that as well. We do that in in, in classes, discipleship classes, and we've started some of those. But we wanna be intentional about making disciples. Can I be honest? It's confession. I don't know if we've always been intentional about that. Uh, having a system of, way, of, of making disciples. So I'm gonna just kind of let you in on, our, on how we're beginning to think that way as a church because we all wanna focus the same direction. How can we grow? How can we be more and more like Christ? And how can we invite others? Because that's the call of a disciple. Jesus said this, come and follow me. And then what did he say when he left? Go and make more disciples. That's our call. We're called to be like him, but also to tell others and to be exactly what Jesus was. He was a living example. 
as he taught the word and he lived the word, and we're supposed to do that for others. So we wanna develop a system of discipleship. So I'm gonna give you a quick picture of what that looks like. It, we're gonna, we're gonna, once a month, the very first Sunday of every month, we're gonna start a thing called Restart. At the very end, re, re, Restart, uh, where the first Sunday of the month, we are intentionally trying to get new people or people that are not, have not uh, gotten involved or not a part of our, the community of believers. To, to come to a 20-minute thing, the very first thing uh, uh, right after service. And in this 20 minutes, we're going to basically say, hey, this is what we're about. We're people that are imperfect, that are seeking after God, trying to be like Him. This is kind of our vision and our passion as a church. It's going to be about a 15-20-minute time. And that's kind of a first step. And so when you invite someone or someone's coming for the first time, maybe you're here today for the first time, we want to tell you about what we are, we are and who we are. We want to give you just a quick snippet of that. So maybe you go, man, I don't, really, I, don't really, I don't really believe or buy into this or want to be a part of this community. Fine, we would love for you to be, but that's kind of a first step, and it's intentional. Second step is this. We're going to start a series of classes on, on Wednesday that says, okay, I started here. Love what's happening here. I love the intentionality of the church and where God is leading this people. And we're gonna be setting up classes that basically say, what does this church really believe? How can we be involved in serving? What can we do to use our gifts? And what is the church of the Naza what? I mean, people see that sign, you know that they do. You're probably one of those people that if you didn't grow up in the church of the Nazarene, you go, what is a Nazarene? And so we'll ask that question. And we'll also be asking questions about your personal faith. Do you need a mentor in your life? And you know, can I answer that question? Yes, we all need mentors. I need a mentor. I have a mentor. And the next step is you should be mentoring someone else. Disciple, be discipled, and, and disciple others. And so we're going to be setting up mentor relationships and, and teaching and training people to do that. At the end of that time, we're going to have a thing called relaunch. And we want people to actually be invested and involved. So they'll be asking the questions as they meet with Pastor Michelle. How can I get involved in a life group? How can I serve in the church? And we want to give people tangible ways to do that. That's just a, just a quick synopsis of what that looks like as a community. Well, that's how we can realign ourselves as a community, but you may be wondering, how can I realign my life personally uh, with the life of Jesus? And we have invested in a new, um, a new uh, Netflix of all things Christian, if you will. Um, it's called Right Now Media, and there are over 3,000 resources on this, and we are going to give it to each one of you um, as a gift and as a way to be able to personally align your life with Jesus. There's kids things on there. You, yes, if you want to join, you can text that uh, phone number and you text your name and your email, and then I will uh, put you in there and sign you up. But what it is is there's over 2,000 Bible studies, and then there's another 1,500 resources, kids resources, cartoons, VeggieTales, penguins, all those kinds of things. You can access it from your phone. You can access it from your tablet, from your computer, from the TV if you have a smart TV. It's pretty cool. And a lot of our life groups are using it for their children, for the children's programs, while they're studying on it in life group. And so it's, it's a really cool resource. Um, the passion conferences are on there, so you can get into those and be inspired and just hear um, what it's like to be a, a true follower of Christ. So we're really excited about that. I would encourage you to text that phone number again. Go ahead see and put that it one back screen on the screen. The, yeah, there we go. And um, put your email and your name, and I will make sure that you get signed up for that. There's a lot of ways that we can realign our personal life with Christ, but 
let's think outside of the box this week. Um, there's uh, a thing called If Gathering Up. My friend Christy McDowell um, told me about it. And it is, a, it is a group of women that get together and ask, if God is real, then what? Or now what? Let's ask ourselves that this week. If God is real, then what? Would we, do we really want to still live the lives the way we are living? How can we think outside of the box to realign our lives with Jesus? If God is real, then what? Hmm. Worship band's coming up uh, now, and uh, we're going to sing together. There was an image I went, uh, friends uh, took, took us out or for lunch, a staff this week uh, to the Sam Houston Steakhouse over here. I don't know if you've ever been there before. They have awesome pictures of, of Texas history and things. And there was an image of the, whether it's true or not, but this, this picture of some drawing a line in the sand. Do you remember that, that picture in the Alamo? And uh, it's just drawing this line in the sand. And basically the, 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 the moment is this, are, are you with us? Are, are you willing, honestly the question, are you willing to die in this moment? And as I've kind of pictured that image and just like, it's just such a definitive call. It's a, it's a moment, of, kind of moment of truth. I thought about the, the passage in Joshua at the end, in Joshua 24, where it's just this clear moment for Joshua. And he says this, he says, you know what? Whatever you do is that you can do whatever you want to, follow God or not follow God. But for me and for my family, we choose to follow the Lord. We choose to serve the Lord. And there's these moments for the disciples. They had those moments. And that moment was, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a moment of, hey, let's just pray one prayer and life is done. It was, are you willing to come and follow me to surrender your life to get a new life? Are you ready to surrender the life that you're, you've thrown Jesus into for a brand new life? A new life in the kingdom? That it's, can, it's so hard. It's so hard to be a Christian in name alone and not action. It's, it's so hard to just kind of suffocate the life that God has, has put in us. That's not the way God meant us to live. He, he meant us to live this new life, this new calling, to seek him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, to do that. So as, as we, we go to, to pray this morning, and we're gonna sing, and I just invite you to bow your heads, and maybe the, the truth is, today, that you've asked Jesus into your life and that was an amazing first step. You took a step of faith. But the reality is, is you're not following Jesus. You're not actively following him. You're not seeking him. Maybe today you need to get up from your tax collector's booth. You need to, to get up from wherever you are in life with the nets and you just say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm leaving this life behind and I want to run with you. I want to live with you. God, shape me and form me. Form my heart, form my mind, form my life. I want to be your authentic disciple today. God, we thank you so much for your grace.
Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and your love that, God, you do not give up on us. You are the, the, the teacher, the rabbi that, Lord, that, that chooses us. We didn't choose you, you chose us. You didn't give up on us. Your love didn't give up on us. And God, I can think back in the times of my life that I was so far from you and you didn't give up. The times that I totally rejected you in my actions and you did not give up. God, that, that you kept on asking, you kept on calling to come follow, to come follow, to come follow. God, I, I pray for my friends that are here today, Lord. God, that the reality is, the truth is, Lord, they come to church every week. They call themselves Christians, but their lives don't look like you, God. And it breaks your heart and it breaks my heart, Lord. God, I pray, God, that we would seek you with all of our hearts, that I would seek you, Lord, that I would not get pulled into the way the Lord, the world teaches us to live. But God, I would renew my mind and my heart daily seeking you, that as a community, we would come together weekly and realign our lives to the way that you've called us to live, God. Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship God. Maybe today as you're, you're singing in worship and you're singing these words and you're, you're seeing them on the screen, maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Or maybe you wanna take a step for the first time of saying, God, I'm gonna follow you. Not just in name, but in my whole life, I wanna follow you. So as we sing today, make this a, a testimony of your faith.